Hello, and welcome to the Extension Experience podcast with your hosts, Josh Bouchong, Trent Malachik, and Dana Zook. Here you'll find insights into Oklahoma agriculture from West Area Specialists employed by Oklahoma State University Extension. Their perspectives come from assisting county educators and producers in the areas of agronomy, animal science, and economics. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. I'm Dana Zook. I'm Trent Malachi. Josh Bashong. So today we are doing another educator spotlight. We have another area livestock specialist. We're on the team area livestock specialist kind of bandwagon here. And I have Earl Ward, my counterpart from Northeast Oklahoma. So welcome, Earl. Oh, thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, your family, all of the above. So I, uh, I grew up in, in Durant, and you can tell because I, I do say Durant, not Durant. Not Durant? It, it ain't Durant. It's Durant. <laughs> uh, That's a basketball player. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Durant, right? Kevin Durant, is that who that is? Yeah. He didn't grow up there. Oh, uh, Rodman did, but Kevin Durant didn't. Okay. So uh, so I grew up in Durant. I was, Of course, I was big in FFA and, and 4-H. Left there, went to Oklahoma State, got my bachelor's in in animal science, um, actually started out as an ag econ guy, wanted to be, you know, you know Trent Malachik, but uh, <laughs> actually done an internship in Montana at a big old ranch up there, and I come back and immediately changed to animal science. And then what's funny is, is once I got back, I took a job at the Perry Farmers Co-op running the feed mill up there, and that's what got me interested in, in feeds and nutrition. I graduated from Oklahoma State, went to South Dakota State, became a jackrabbit, um, got my master's in ruminant nutrition. And so, um, you know, I kind of specialize in feeds and feeding from there. Worked for a feed company in northern Missouri for a couple of years before we moved to uh, Rogers County. And then uh, worked at a feed mill there in about five years before coming to OSU Extension in 2013. So you've been here for eight years, yeah. right? Uh, January 23rd, we'll make eight years here with Extension. You started a couple years before I did. Yeah. This is interesting background information, but I applied for your job, so you beat me out. Well, unwillingly. I didn't know you at the time, but I'm glad I did. I <laughs> uh, looked into this job. I didn't ever want to be a, a teacher in any sort. A lot of the guys I grew up with became ag teachers, and I really didn't want to do that. And um, gave presentations throughout college, but I didn't really enjoy it that much. And then when they told me I had to do a 45-minute presentation, to interview for this position, man, I was, I was scared. I was like, man, I don't want to do that. And finally I got to, got through the presentation with my knees knocking and, and nervous and, and then <laughs> luckily I got the job. And now that's kind of my favorite part is actually get in front of producers and educate and teach and, and things like that. So this job is kind of a, a, a dream job for me. And then I really do enjoy what I do. Yeah, well, there are some late nights and, and, and things like that, but you know, I get paid to go talk to people about cows and nutrition. So that's a pretty good gig. So we can't forget your lovely wife, Tanya. No, yeah. 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 So tell us a little about your family. So Tanya and I actually met uh, when we were in South Dakota. Uh, she's from Southwest Missouri and I was, you know, from Oklahoma. So that kind of fit pretty good. Uh, she has her master's in, in meat science. Uh, but since then, she has worked for several uh, meat companies and and, uh, but now she is a food safety consultant, so she travels the U.S. helping companies out with their food safety plans and things like that. We have two boys, 
uh, cash and case. Cash is 13, case is 10, and uh, I'm paying for their mother's raising for sure. So <laughs> They're delightful boys. I met them at the Tulsa uh, stock show. Yeah. So they're, good yeah. kids. First time you meet them, they're pretty delightful. They're great. Okay. Well, maybe I'll have to try a second time, see the true <laughs> colors, right? <laughs> Some other background, I guess all the the greats come from get experience at the Perry Co-op because my husband worked at the Perry Co-op. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a few other people that you and I know. Yeah, Rusty like- Gauze. So yeah, Rusty was my um, manager there. He's the one who really kind of pushed me to go to get my master's. Uh, there's a bunch of kids that, especially from Durant, right, that were in college the same time I was, and I would get them hired on at the co-op and, and things like that. It was a really good environment, and to this day, I still love seeing massive amounts of grains and feeds and stuff like that. I think just that's just part of a man, like going to Sam's or Costco, like, oh, i got to buy something in bulk. Look at that train, you know, look at that train car full of grain. That's awesome. <laughs> you know. Oh, my gosh. But that's where uh, working in the mill there, that's where I, I learned a lot about what feeds should look like, how well they'll mix with one another, you know, how well will they flow through a bin, how well will they throw, flow through a system. Because it takes experiences like that to realize, you know, hey, you can't put that sort of feed inside of a, a creep feeder because it just mm-hmm. isn't going to flow well or something like that. So it's that hands-on experience that I learned a lot there that I still use today. Yeah, I have that feed mill experience too, and I cannot value that more for my job these days, even though I no longer am able to mix feed and line up trucks and send them to producers. But like you said, just very valuable from just a general knowledge standpoint. I'm not sure I get joy out of seeing a rail car full of grain. Anything <laughs> in, in large amounts. Is <laughs> I think it's just men in general. It fascinates us. We don't necessarily have that much in eastern Oklahoma. You drive out west and you see those humongous you know, stacks of corn and stuff like that. You're like, I just want to play in that thing. You came back from South Dakota, and I think you came and did a few more classes at OSU to finish up, maybe? Yeah, because at that point, we were already married. Um, my wife was living in Stillwater at the time, and we we moved to Stillwater and my advisory committee allowed me to take a couple of classes at, at OSU to finish up my classwork while I was still finishing up my writing for my master's degree. The funny thing is I moved to Stillwater, start classes. My wife then takes a job in Northern Missouri. So the first six months we were married, we only lived together for two months and we, we got along great because we never seen one another. So. <laughs> but here we are now at uh, going on 16 years. So we must, oh, must be doing something right. That's cool. So you did at SDSU, you did some unique research and I've always been fascinated with it. So tell us a little bit about kind of your graduate degree, because I think that kind of leads to why you, you are good at the nutrition side and everything. So I've done kind of two projects when I was in grad school. Uh, the first was uh, looking at sulfur toxicity. And that's because at that time there was a, a, a drought in South Dakota and their their pond water and their well water was getting extremely high in sulfates and so therefore they were getting a lot of polio which is polio encephalomalacia had a lot of calves dying from it so we done research on on feeding thiamine vitamin b1 to try to offset the morbidity mortality that we were having so i've done several trials on it but my main thesis trial was looking at limit feeding barley 
to late gestating cows and seeing can we feed those cows a smaller amount of feed because at the time, because of the drought, forage cost was skyrocketed and it was cheaper to feed a grain than it was to feed a forage. So we put those cows in a dry lot, fed them, you know, a total of about 17 pounds a day versus 34, what the other group were getting. And we maintained body, body weight without affecting birth weight or anything like that. And so that was the majority of what my thesis was written about was limit feeding barley to those late gestating cows. And, and, you know, we really can't apply that down here because Oklahoma, yeah. we don't get barley in, right? But yeah. a lot of re same research has been done with corn and things like that. Uh, the mm -hmm. same concept applies. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, normally we're not in a situation where we need to dry lot cows to save forages or something around here. In the polio situation, I mean, we can have situations with high sulfur, especially during droughts, like you said. And so that I think applies very well, but um, really beyond graduate school, your hands-on experience probably has helped you to more extension type stuff. Tell us some of the things you really like most about your extension job. I know you like to talk to producers and that sort of thing, maybe topics or, or give us some insight into your extension career thus far. As soon as I started, I got thrown into kind of taking charge of the OSU cow-calf boot camp. Uh, we had Dr. Sparks, which was our area uh, veterinarian at the time. That was kind of his brainchild was developing the cow-calf boot camp, which is a three-day boot camp that covers everything from cow management through finances, through forages, and shows it all into a three-day class. You know, like I said, I started in 2013 in January. And the next week I was in a meeting planning one of those camps. I really do enjoy that camp because a lot of times the producers that are coming to that, they're fired up. They really want to learn something. They ask a lot of questions uh, and things like that. So that that's one of the programs I really like. Master Cattleman program's really good. I, I teach several chapters in it. But if you were to say, hey, what is the one thing as an area specialist for a cow-calf guy, what do you push? It is working on a forage system to support the herd. I'm a nutritionist. I'm a feed guy. However, I always tell everybody, you're already paying for your land or your, you know, your pasture. You either own it or you lease it. So let's maximize what that thing can do and supplement the difference. You know, I, I believe, that especially here in eastern Oklahoma, you'll see so many pastures that are overgrazed because their stocking rates are wrong. They're not fertilizing. They're not taking care of the place. And they're spending a lot of money on hay and feed. Well, we need to reverse that kind of thing and say, hey, more cows does not always equal more money. And we need to focus on how do we make this land as productive as we can. And we just buy the feed and hay to supplement that. If you were to sum it, what do you normally focus on? That's that's what it is. And you know, a lot of that has to do with your, your fall supplementation. Again, doing those forage tests, picking the right supplement that matches those economically. A lot of my articles that I write and the teachings that I do is focused on that. One thing I kind of geek out on is like, because the ruminants can, can utilize so many different varieties of feed ingredients, man, it, it is almost endless of what we can do. A lot of, uh, several times I've worked with producers who are taking brewer's grain from local breweries. You know, the, those small breweries have to get rid of that waste some way and they just want somebody to come pick it up. So a lot of times you could get that stuff for free working with producers using that and that's a lot of time is a free good supplement i had a guy here in muskogee one time who had just almost a semi load of almond butter and <laughs> i forgot about that <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> and so he brought it to me and we sent a, a sample off and you know almond butter is extremely high in energy it has a high high uh, fat content so we figured out a way that he could get that and pour it over the top of his low quality hay and increase consumption on it i mean it's amazing the things that we can actually you know utilize in a in a room and diet uh, because we can get it at a cheaper cost or something like that I do kind of geek out on that stuff, Josh. Uh, I know I, I've I've been to cow calf boot camps and heard you talk a couple times, and I even remember several years ago that they're reading a story about some skittles. You guys yeah. trying to incorporate those? <laughs> so my brother-in-law works for a snack company out, out by St. Louis, and he called me one time because he had a semi-load of fig that he could not accept for a human grade. So he was wondering what the value was or the nutritional value of it was, which you can't find that in literature anywhere, right? <laughs> and so I, I spent about an hour, and by the time I called him back, he'd already sold it to a local dairy because that dairy has a professional nutritionist and connections with labs. They can send that stuff off and then figure out a way to utilize it pretty quick in a room and diet. We can utilize quite a bit of stuff. Potato think- chips, man. <laughs> yeah. I, you can use potato chips to fatten up calves pretty good because – it puts body condition score on my ribs. I'm pretty sure it's <laughs> calf ribs. Yeah. I'm pretty sure cows would love almond butter or figs, like the high carbohydrate kind of fat content. I think those yeah. would be really good. Now, I'm not sure about Skittles. I think I think they would like sort them out eventually. Know. Had a dog that loved Skittles one time. <laughs> oh my gosh! It just depends what they get used to, right? Yeah, yeah. You can you know you can get them to eat just about anything. Uh, you know you can get them to eat green briars if you want them to. And mm-hmm. green briars are higher nutrition, but you have to grind it and get it to a palatable level. I know you've been ahead of the curve on a lot of things and even shooting, publishing, and editing videos and stuff. What got you into the videos? So, honestly, what got me into videos was my oldest boy's football team. When he started playing football in first grade, I bought a video camera, and I started videoing their games, and I started editing them down to about 10 minutes, and I would put music to them, and then I would put them on YouTube. And I'd send the link out to all the parents so that they could see them. And so that they could send it to grandparents who couldn't be there and things like that. Well, then you, you take that times, you know, 10 to 12 games a year times six years. I've got quite a few videos on there. Every year I would make a DVD for the kids, hoping that someday when they're 18, 20 years old, they'll stick that thing in and say, oh man, y'all remember that game? You know, where we were all eight years old and kicking butt. You know? <laughs> so that's, that's what got me into it. And I enjoy putting that stuff together. When the pandemic COVID hit last March and we got sent home, it was like, well, how do we keep in touch with our producers? And that was one way through our Northeast Oklahoma Agate Advantage Facebook page was simply just grabbing my phone, filming something, and I would edit it, take a couple minutes, and then post it on that Facebook page. So that's what got me actually was football and so for six years i watched my son's football games through a two by three and a half inch screen and then once i got home i got to watch it for about two hours as i was editing it well i think you did a lot of your videos this spring based on finishing calves because that was kind of what people were interested in right fattening finishing steers for freezer beef right yeah and that's what i had at the house Mm -hmm. you know um stuck there at the house i was looking for any reason to get outside for the last couple of years we have had at least two calves on feed at, at one time to finish out to sell for beef or or to put in the freezer 
And so there was a lot of questions about that. And I mean, it's amazing what you can talk about in, into, you know, a fecal pile, how many subjects you can pull out of just that thing of, you know, digestibility and, you know, protein contents and things like that. I did make a couple of videos on it. And again, things that were just happening out in my pasture at that time. You know, I always try to do some sort of little demo in my own place. Uh, so last year it was whether brush hogging paid for itself or not. It makes us feel good when we go through and brush hog a place because mm-hmm. uh, it knocks all the weeds and stuff down. But it costs about, I don't know, Josh, what, $6 an acre to do it? And it costs diesel and time and run across it. Well, did sure. it pay for itself as far as forage quantity and forage quality? I do have the quantities measured, but I don't have uh, the forage test back for the quality. But I always try to do some sort of demo in my own place that would be interesting to my neighbors and producers like that. That's really cool. You've always been very, you like to apply things. You like to show them. You've had some cool field days. Tell us about work at the research station. You did a couple years of uh, data collection or I think creep grazing, right? Yeah, we've done several trials at the, it's the Eastern Research Station uh, located there in Haskell. Uh, me and Brian Pugh, our ag agronomist, had done a, a trial on setting up a creep gate for calves, and we had planted some cool season grasses. One time we've done some crabgrass research out there. We've done that creep grazing trial. We tried to do, between me and, and Brian and then Scott Clausen, our ag economist, to look at going back to what do I push for as far as my programming, looking at how do we reduce the number of days of haying? You know, what, what pastures are we fertilizing? How does that affect our cow nutrient requirements? Focusing on what supplement we use. And we had a very effective program going and had a really great field day. But just as things go, we really don't do too much research out there because they've gotten rid of the cows off of that operation. And we're mm-hmm. more stalkers now. But my advisor when I was in grad school, he was actually an extension specialist. He was not a professor. He had pretty much our job. He was considered a state specialist. So he wouldn't do any research unless it was applicable to the producers of his area. There's no sense in doing this research if it's so expensive that nobody's going to use it. So let's look at research that producers can apply right now. You know, a lot of the stuff we were doing, we know that it would work. It's just a lot of times for people to believe it, they need to see it. And that's kind of what we do with a lot of those demonstrations is we're replicating research has been proven for years. It's just a lot of times it helps if people can see the difference in quantity of grass, see the difference in body condition scores and stuff like that. I think it's very important to have producers in the field talking and asking questions about stuff that is applicable to their operation. Well, I think we've covered a lot of stuff today. I know, Earl, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I've learned a lot from you over the years. I've been an extension, started just shortly after you. And so we've done a lot of fun stuff together, mostly feed related, nutrition related. We can't seem to get away from that. You're my silage expert. Oh gosh, I am not a silage expert, but I come from, I guess I come from silage country. So we probably didn't have silage. (laughs) (laughs) We had, we had peanut hay. That's what we had. (laughs) I fed plenty of peanut hay growing up. (laughs) And peanut hay is pretty low quality. I mean, a bit stimmy. A bit stimmy, I would say. (laughs) Unless there's peanuts involved, then you have some fat, right? Yeah. Yeah. You have to uh, definitely wear leather shaps when you're hauling peanut hay. Oh my gosh. Wearing a good pair of pants. Well, I do appreciate y'all inviting me. I enjoyed our time together. 
Thank you, Earl. Thanks for coming on and spending your time. And for all of you who are listening, thank you for taking your time. We will have some links to some of Earl's videos and and some of the things we talked about today on the blog. Um, With that, uh, we'll catch you next time. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. If you would like to hear more or follow up on the discussed topics, please reach out to your local county extension agent. OSU has a presence in all 77 counties with educators eager to assist you. Also, please consider checking the description for links to our social media pages and further information pertinent to the conversation. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.